It's time once again for our broadcast, Good News and Better News, where we spend 22 minutes advancing the theory that life really does not suck. And now, here is our host, author, screenwriter, and podcastman, Jonathan Richard Kring. On occasion, I like to think about what it was like to be on the scene for certain moments in history. Like, here, here's a good one. I, you know, what was it like to be there when Baskin met Robbins? That's a good one. Don't particularly want to be there when Hitler was in the bunker. A bad one. But, you know, sometimes you just like to think about what it was like. Here's, here's an example. Certainly grown men sitting around a fire together who, by the way, have all been raised Jewish. And throughout their entire upbringing, they'd heard many prayers pass by and through their ears and into their brains. And, and dare I say, I'm sure these grown men had uttered a few prayers of their own. As a matter of fact, sometimes I chuckle when I hear religious people in the United States talking about, we need to go up and preach the gospel. Yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to go up and preach the gospel. Well, I need to tell you right now, I've been around this country 15, 20, 30 times. There isn't anybody in this country who hasn't heard the basic stories from the good book. Really not anybody who hasn't been exposed to some manhandled rendition. Yet back to that fireside for those 12 guys who certainly raised in religious homes, raised to be good Jewish boys, had heard their prayers, had been to the temple to hear prayers. Yet for some reason, these 12 disciples... These 12 men sitting around that fire suddenly ask a man named Jesus of Nazareth, teach us to pray. And they're earnest about it. It isn't, it isn't a conversation filler. It isn't like, man, when I get around Jesus, I'm so nervous, I don't know what to say. Well, bring up prayer, that'll get him going. He'll talk about that. No, it's not like that. It, it's a legitimate curiosity. They didn't mean they wanted to be instructed in how to bow their heads or close their eyes or deep breathing or even information on who to pray to and what to pray. They, what they sensed was that this Jesus guy, this Jesus guy, he had developed some sort of prayer life that was effective passionate, and when he was done, experiencing it. And he returned. It, this, this it transformed him into a more joyous, contented, and powerful human being. Matter of fact, it was Jesus' style to leave his disciples after dinner. He'd just go off 
so he could be alone in the wilderness. Why? So he could pursue his prayer piece, so he could talk to the rock, so he could talk to the air, so he could hear himself speak his own frustrations and concerns. In the morning, while they were getting up with sore backs, maybe tired minds, Jesus would arrive invigorated. You know, finally, these guys, they just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they asked Jesus what, what he had discovered in prayer that they'd missed, that it that had escaped them with all their Jewish training. Teach us. Teach us to pray. What came forth next was what we call the Lord's Prayer. It was not nearly as much as a specific prayer for the moment as it was a, a teaching tool, an example. A seminar, if you will, for the disciples in the art of prayer Instead of sitting around carefully selecting wording, which would make them seem righteous, this was a way to speak your heart to become emotionally pure and free. As impressive as it is, you know, that Jesus taught them this therapy, we must understand that 1,000 years, that's a long time, 1,000 years earlier, a guy named David, who was also from Bethlehem, he became the king of Israel, but he also had tapped into the power of verbally expressing both his adoration for life and his frustrations over circumstances by using prayer. We call it the book of Psalms. 150 of them were, this guy just, just talks it out. Just talks it out. Hears it with his own ears. Comes away cleansed by the experience of being free of the burdens that he carried by speaking them out loud through prayerpy. You know, matter of fact, I want to tell you, I think there's a chilling and dare I say inspiring similarity to the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. You know, the one to initiate them into prayerpy. And the very well-known 23rd Psalm spoken by King David. You know it, don't you? David began by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. See, Jesus phrased it this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. I just want you to know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the sky, but I know there's something in the sky. I'm talking to the earth, but I know there's answers in the earth. I'm talking to the trees, but I know who made the trees. The Lord is my shepherd, our Father, which art in heaven. Then David proclaimed, I shall not want. Jesus continued his prayer by saying, Hallowed be thy name. In other words, I do think I can trust you 
to hear what's in my heart. And when, and when you hear it, like what David said, no matter what happened next, what happens next, the emotional need I feel and the want that terrorizes me will dissipate. It will disappear. My words will clean up my heart. My words will clean up my heart. Does Jesus go on? You know where I'm going? He says, thy kingdom come. Now, David said in that kingdom, you know what he believed we do? He believes we lie down in green pastures. Bluntly, you place me where I can calm down while I work it out. It always is fascinating to me that uh, when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples during a storm that seemed to be overtaking them and drowning them, uh, long before he gets up and rebukes the storm and calms the waves, he calms the disciples. There's a drastic need in our society to calm down the people before we start trying to solve our national problems to bring peace to the masses, to calm us down. Thy will be done, Jesus said. (laughs) How does that happen? The psalmist says it happens this way. You lead me beside the still waters. That's nice. Everything's rushing by me, but for a moment... I'm staring at stillness and imitating it. That's how I can begin to believe that something powerful, spirited, from science, something from nature, something from humanity, actually can be done that will be a calming effect to create still waters. Jesus once again said, and this is going to happen on earth, just like it's going on in heaven. David says he restores my soul. Now, I want to tell you, there's something comforting in knowing that what is heavenly, when applied through the spirit of science, the spirit of nature, and the spirit of humanity, does restore us. Granting us purpose, granting us meaning, for being in this space at this time. Now, shall we get to the practical? Jesus put it this way. Give us this day our daily bread. How does God do that? Well, David said he he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Ah, Righteousness, that's one of those words, isn't it? It's one of those words like prayer. It's not well defined. What is righteousness? Righteous is an understanding of how things work right on earth. Whether it's science, once again, am I right? Nature or the fellow humans around us. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily understanding, our daily nourishment, our daily awareness, our daily functioning power to not get so tied up with a future that is not going to be made until we make it. And forgive us our trespasses. 
I have to tell you that being unforgiven is a deep, dark hole. Would you agree? In his Psalm 23, David describes it as walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, that's kind of what being unforgiven is like. Long before our bodies die, you see the mind stops thinking, the soul ceases to teach, and the heart forgets how to feel. Jesus went on teaching his disciples. He said, next, here's what you can, how you can express it. As we forgive those that trespass against us. Yes, forgive us our trespasses as we, as we, simultaneously. He says it in the Beatitudes, just as beautifully, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. While you're being merciful, mercy is being shipped your way. While you're being unmerciful, a lack of mercy is on its way to your doorstep. It's, it was um, David that said, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I don't have to fear people anymore because I've forgiven them. They don't have to plot against me. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You teach me through my mistakes. You teach me through my discoveries. You teach me through science. You teach me through Mother Nature. You teach me through the humanity that surrounds me. It gives us an opportunity. That's what prayerapy does. Prayerapy gives us the opportunity to set in motion the miracle in the world around us because we already have experienced the miracle of forgiving and being forgiven. Nothing's more miraculous than knowing we can begin the next day with a clear conscience. I think that's what David means by feeling God comfort him. It's that he no longer has to fear any evil. And when we no longer fear any evil, we aren't terrified by the circumstances surrounding us. We can use our prayer, as Jesus said, to lead us not into temptation. In other words, God, please give us a break. We're not going to go out and do a bunch of stupid stuff just to prove we're strong enough to overcome it. Make Make our path plain. Help us stop trying to walk two lifestyles. Don't, don't let us be led into temptation. Instead, deliver us from evil. How magnificent. David, in his 23rd Psalm prayer, he phrases it this way. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Yes, even my enemies have to welcome me because I'm part of what's going on. I'm valuable. They may not like me. They may choose to decide to still call themselves enemies, but they cannot deny 
that I am a respecter of the spirit that God is through science, through Mother Nature, and through my love of humanity. When we finally use our voice to, to, to counteract our fears and we let the emotion of defeat just pour out of us, get out of the way, we can begin to feel as if our lives are anointed, purposeful, and therefore powerful, and our cup can run over. A tingle can go down our spines in the middle of the night when we think about how good things are and how things are moving for us. And and our journey is beginning to click together and make sense. David goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jesus' rendition is, For thine is the kingdom. And as the disciples listened, he continued, And thine is the power, and yours is the glory. David closes his prayer from Psalm 23rd, the 23rd Psalm, by saying, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think Jesus beautifully mirrors that thought while teaching his disciples to pray with prayer by saying, forever and ever, amen. You see, the Jews contended that this Messiah would be the son of David. You can believe whatever you want to talk about that. You can discuss it. But I'll tell you this, David and Jesus David, who was considered the apple of God's eye, and Jesus, who the Father from heaven said he was well pleased with. They were brothers in prayer, expressing what was in their hearts in a private place, allowing for their emotions to be healed long before all the other answers gradually trickled in. A pair of prayerapy from David and Jesus, both, both favorite sons of Bethlehem. For you see, the good news is we could learn, just like the disciples did, how to turn prayer into prayerapy. And the better news is when we do, we can experience healing long before everything before us is restored. That's it for today. Stay tuned next week when we will gather once again and find ways to put the pin back in the grenade. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and at goodnewsandbetternews.com.